Many of you know that last week we wrapped up our series on 1 Thessalonians, and we're in a bit of a, a time of transition before we get into the season of Advent. Advent is uh, coming up right around the corner. It begins the first Sunday of December, and so we've got just a couple of weeks of transition before we slide into Advent. And uh, it's our joy and privilege this morning to have Tim Frisch with us. Tim will be opening the Word of God. He's going to be in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, just to focus on one verse this morning. And I invite you to open up your Bible if you want, or it's there in your bulletin. And I am going to, um, to read it and pray as we come before God um, and His Word. So Romans 1, 16, hear the Word of God. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray again as we come before God's word as Tim comes forward. Lord, we thank you for your precious word. What a gift it is, Lord, to have your words written down for us, that we can have a Bible that we can carry with us. We know that many sacrificed their lives to preserve for us your words. Thank you that you have preserved them by your spirit and through your providential oversight, you have preserved your word for us today. Let us tremble before it. Let us heed it. Let us not be hearers only, but doers of the word also. And empower Brother Tim to open your word and explain it as he ought in a way that pleases you and blesses us and edifies all those who hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We also have a, you can come forward if you want, Tim. We also have a missions moment each month. And Tim's going to be sharing a few words about his own family's missions and things that they're doing as a part of our, as part of his uh, word today. So thank you, Brother Tim. God bless you. Yes, I'm very happy today. I've been here many times, which is always a great blessing to be with you all. But I have my family here today, or at least some of them. Later, I'll show a picture. You'll see we even have more. <laughs> and we are going to look at one verse today, focus on one verse, Romans 1.16. But that doesn't mean the message is going to be short. Uh, They're used to it. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to, you know, some of you look at this and this will be about two minutes. Well, there's a lot packed in here. As we just read, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Begins the book of Romans in this manner, and uh, we're going to be talking today about one particular word that's used there, the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's good news. And uh, I've titled this Good News in a World of Bad News. I think you would agree there's a lot of bad news out there. And it can be very overwhelming and discouraging. And a lot of people uh, are at a point in the time that we're living in where they're, they're distraught. And they feel hopeless They feel even sometimes very upset and angry and not knowing where to turn. 
And uh, I believe that the bad news that is all around us is really nothing new. This world has so much bad news in it because of the condition of humanity. But I think about good news, and Paul is talking about good news, and I think about how there are times in history that we can look to as examples of good news. I actually have a picture, I think we can show it, of a newspaper from years ago that was reporting the good news of victory during World War II. Imagine seeing that headline. I think that's the Boston Chronicle, too, or the Boston Globe, Boston Daily Globe. There's victory. How did that feel (laughs) to hear that good news? And that is such a good example of when we think about the central message of Christianity. It brings us such hope and joy. It is good news. And Paul was excited when he thought about the gospel. He actually says in the verse before this, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. How, how much had Paul preached the gospel in his ministry? And yet he says, I am eager to preach the gospel. It is good news. And his world needed that good news. Our world desperately needs this good news. So we're going to break this verse down into the into its phrases to really reflect on what he's saying. He says, first of all, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed. So I want to focus on that, being not ashamed. Because still today, we are tempted to be ashamed. And there are uh, sometimes efforts to shame us as Christians. But if we're ashamed, what that really is saying and what's really happening there is that we're placing people as the judge. We're looking at people around us as the judge. Because why would you feel ashamed? Because you would be looking at them as the standard and saying, oh, I'm not living up to their standard. But listen, people are not the judge. People are not the arbiters of morality and right and wrong. There is one judge, there is one lawgiver, and it is God. He declares what is right. He helps us to know what is truly right. And if we are doing what is right before him, we have no reason to be ashamed. Paul is not ashamed. He didn't look at other people as his judge. He knew who the true judge was. And the mindset of Paul and the other apostles is reflected, uh, I think, in this verse in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, where uh, apostles had been brought before the council and they were told not to preach in the name of Jesus. They said, we have to obey God rather than man. And after that encounter, it says this about them. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor or suffer shame for the name of Christ. How did they look at it? This is great. We're suffering shame for the name of Christ. That means we're doing what is right. It's an honor because we're doing what God has called us to do. And we need to do what God wants above anything that man says. That's Paul, isn't it? I mean, you know what Paul faced. And, and 
uh, he, he uh, of course, is following the words of Jesus here who said in Mark 8, 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Paul did not want to be ashamed of Christ. And he wanted Christ, when Christ returned, he wanted to be honoring to, to his Lord. And so he even says, Paul says to Timothy the same thing. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. This is 2 Timothy 1.8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul continued on no matter how much opposition he faced. And when I think of how Paul continued on, I can't help but be reminded of something that was drilled in my head watching TV as a young person, the Energizer Bunny. I think I have a picture of that. Yes, thank you. Just in case anybody forgot or didn't know what this is. This was an ad campaign by a battery company. And what we remember, those of us who saw it, is how often we would see that bunny Month after month, I think year after year, it's still going and going and going. <laughs> Sorry to put that back in your head. But I think it's such a good illustration of endurance, perseverance, how Paul kept going, just like the Energizer Bunny, no matter what he faced. Ministers of the gospel, even today, have to keep going. And it's not easy. It's not easy. And those of us who are trying to serve Jesus Christ, we have to keep going. And it's not easy, is it? Not, we can't do it in our power. Because the world around us, just like in Paul's day, is often opposing and even trying to shame us. And what does Paul say to that? I am not ashamed. I can't wait to come to Rome and preach the gospel there, even though it probably won't go great there either. <laughs> but I have a message. What is he not ashamed of? The gospel, which is at the heart of what's being said here. The gospel. So this is the second phrase. He's not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is good news, and he brings out here, even in the next verse, he says, In it, the righteousness of God, this is verse 17 of Romans 1, In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The one who is righteous shall live by faith. That is a central tenet of what he's saying. And we've even been hearing that and thinking about this morning. How do we live the Christian life? It is by faith. Being justified before God, being considered, declared righteous before God, is a matter of faith. And how did that happen? Through the sacrifice of Christ, who was put forward as a propitiation or as a sacrifice of atonement so that we could be made right with God by faith. Because, let's face it, our sin is a, is a major problem. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin has to be judged. But Jesus was willing to take that sin upon himself. 
Abraham is an example of this. And in the book of Romans, we read this earlier about Abraham. And I want to read a a little more here about what Paul says concerning Abraham at the end of chapter 4, verse 20 in Romans. It says, No unbelief made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. We read those words about Abraham. It's not just for him, but for our sake also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news. The word euangelion, and I have the Greek. I don't often bring up Greek, but this is a great word. So if we could put the word up there. You might actually recognize it a little bit if you, if you kind of squint and, and kind of try to make it into an English word. It's very much related to what we uh, call evangelism, right? Evangelizing, evangelism, the evangel. That's the Greek word behind gospel. And euangelion is talking about this good news of being justified by faith. And uh, in Acts chapter 14, Paul actually uses the verb form of this. We might say we're evangelizing people, right? That's a verb, to evangelize. He says in uh, the context of Lystra, where people, uh, after a miracle has been done, are starting to worship Paul and his partner. And he says, stop this. Don't worship us. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. And we evangelize we bring you the good news he says we're preaching the good news and what is it that you should turn from these vain things to a living god who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them they were worshiping false gods they had false worship they needed to turn to the living god and even today People, instead of having their sight on the true creator, have their sight on everything else. And many out there in our culture saying, we just somehow got here. There is no creator. We just magically appeared. Rather than actually bow and worship before the true living God of heaven and earth. And so even today, the call goes out, turn from that to the living God and become a worshiper of him the one who is worthy of all honor and glory, the one who has created us and who deserves our worship and desires us to be in communion with him. This is the gospel, the message, the call to people, the good news. And as I showed earlier, uh, that good news during World War II was something that actually, for the people that uh, were on the side of the Allies, brought great rejoicing and what christ has done brings us great rejoicing it is a joy to think about the good news and then he says here 
The good news, the gospel, is the power of God. That's the next phrase, the power of God. So I'm sorry, but I have to go back to batteries here, uh, the energizer I mentioned earlier. But um, the word here actually is dunamis. If you look at it in, in English, it kind of uh, is translated, transliterated dynamis. We, we have the word in English dynamite, right? And dynamite has a lot of power. Well, how much power does God have? The gospel is the power of God. I brought a, a device here that some of you might recognize. Uh, I've been nostalgic for these lately. And uh, this is a tape player. Yes. But you know something? This tape player, <laughs> it can't play on its own. It needs a power source. And I think that's such a reminder for us as humans. What are we on our own? We have nothing in and of ourselves. To be able to do what God has called us to do and to be the people that God has called us to be. It is only by the power of God. Right? Now, I know this isn't the right kind of battery, but it is an energizer. <laughs> Keeping with the theme. You need that power in order for a device to work. And in our lives, the only way that we could ever be what God is calling us to be is by divine power. Where is that divine power found? It is found in the gospel. The gospel, amen, is the power of God. For what, though? The power of God unto salvation. The next phrase is salvation. I'm reminded of a story in the Bible of someone who experienced salvation. It's in uh, the uh, 19th chapter of Luke. And Jesus approaches a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, when Jesus approached him, uh, people actually were, were bothered and they grumbled because they said Zacchaeus, who was a high-up tax official, they, they looked at him as a sinner. Jesus is going to go to be the guest in the house of that sinner. But what happens? Jesus spends time with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus is changing his life because of his encounter with Jesus. And Jesus said to him, Today... Salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Salvation took place in Zacchaeus' life 2,000 years ago. Salvation continues to take place in people's lives today. I actually heard a wonderful testimony of a, a woman who uh, used to live out in L.A. till fairly recently. Kat Von D. is her name, and she was well-known in L.A. for being a tattoo artist and having kind of a very dark uh, uh, vibe about her. Well, during the pandemic, God used that whole situation, which was pretty rough for all of us, right, 
to actually cause her to take a step back and look at life and uh, reevaluate everything. She and her husband moved away from L.A. And now today, what actually brought her on the radar for me and, and a lot of other Christians is that she posted on social media publicly her baptism. And, you know, when she was baptized, and I'll just put a plug in here. It was in a Baptist church. <laughs> I'm Baptist. That's why I said. But it doesn't matter that it was a Baptist church. What matters is that she was professing her faith in Jesus Christ. And she, in that baptism, declared to the world that her identity is in Jesus. And you know the response to that? It wasn't all good. I read some of those responses today. I happened to look it up and was looking at how people responded to her baptism. And there were plenty of harsh comments. But there were a lot of people who were rejoicing. Because they've experienced salvation. And she uh, has uh, uh, disposed of all of her. She had witchcraft books and tarot cards. And was in a very dark place. But now you can see, if you listen to her testimony, she talks about going to this little church. And, the, and the, it's, it's, it's very different people than she is. But why is she so unified with them? Because of Jesus Christ. And they embraced her. And she and her husband attend with their family. And they worship. And they just sing, you know, very simple songs there. I mean, she comes from L.A., right? Entertainment capital, right? But where is her joy now? It's in a little country church where she gets to worship the one who saved her. Salvation has come to her house. How? By the gospel. She heard the gospel. She knew the seed was planted because her parents were Christians. And the seed was planted. And finally she came to a point of embracing Christ. And that is the power of God unto salvation salvation from what from sin and judgment paul says that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of god all of us is a key point in paul's message of the gospel it's not that some people need to turn to god it's that all people need to turn to god because all of us have the problem of sin and sin brings death the wages of sin is death, but he says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you do not turn to Jesus Christ, you will die in your sin. You will face God's judgment. But if you turn to Jesus Christ by faith, he will forgive you of your sin and you will have salvation, eternal life in him. So who is it for? He says, the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. To those who believe. It takes faith. He says in another place in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we see this even today, that there are many people who do not have faith and when they think about the cross, to them, it's foolishness. Like the many people who were putting down Kat Von D for placing her faith in Christ, they look at what she has done as foolishness. 
but they're perishing. But to us who are being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God. So it is the power of God for those who believe. And once again, we're brought back to exactly what he said about the gospel, that it is about faith. It is for those who have faith. You must be one who believes. Now, who does this apply to? The very last part of this verse. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So when you think about the Jews and the Greeks, there are some different categories we can think about here. One is to think about those who are religious versus those who are pagan. Of course, the Jews were religious people. But what does Paul say here? He says that the the gospel came to the Jew first. The Jews needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the gospel was preached to the Jews. The religious need the gospel. There's a religious man that uh, came to faith in Christ, personal faith in Christ, and became a really well-known minister and writer, and his name is John Stott. He's in heaven now, but uh, he wrote a book, perhaps his magnum opus, called The Cross of Christ. And he talks about this in different places in his writing uh, about how he didn't always, even though he grew up in church and was immersed in a church environment, he didn't always believe personally. And here's what he says. He says, I can still remember what a revelation it was to me as a young man to be told that any action on my part was necessary. I used to imagine that because Christ had died, the whole world had automatically been put right. When someone explained to me that Christ had died for me, I responded rather haughtily, well, everybody knows that, as if the fact itself or my knowledge of the fact had brought me salvation. See, his understanding at first was, I don't need to do anything. Christ died. I'm in church. That's all there is to it. What did he have to understand? He had to understand Christ died because it was his sin that put Christ on the cross. And he needs to respond to Jesus personally. That's a question for all of us. Whether you're religious or not, have you responded personally by faith? Are you living by faith? So it's to the Jew and to the Greek, of course the pagans, and I think the Jews that Paul was writing to knew very well that that those outside of of, uh, their faith, uh, outside of their religion, needed Jesus. But even the Jews need Jesus. Another category to think about here is that Paul is writing as a Jewish man. So it's also talking about his own countrymen, his own people, as well as those who are beyond his borders of where his people are. And so he actually says later in the book of Romans, in chapter 10, he says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for for them, for his fellow countrymen, Israel, is that they may be saved. He loved his people. And he brought the good news to his people. But where else did he bring the gospel? 
to those who were not his people according to the flesh. In other words, in a physical sense, they weren't his ethnicity, but he brought the gospel to the Jew and to the Greek. In other words, all people need the gospel in all places from all backgrounds. The gospel needs to go out. And so, I'm going to go back to the newspaper theme and uh, share a a song that I remember um, I used to sing growing up. And it was uh, one of these songs written by, uh, uh, it was a Child Child Evangelism Fellowship song. So some of you may actually know this song. I know probably my wife does. (laughs) But I'm going to show you a picture of it. It's called Good News. So I think we have that. And they don't use this cover anymore on the song. And I think it's because kids don't know what newspapers are. But the original print said good news. And the words were good news, good news, Christ died for me. Good news, good news, if I believe. Good news, good news, I'm saved eternally. That's wonderful, extra good news. Good news, good news, Christ lives for me. Good news, good news, he prays for me. His word tells that he'll come again for me. That's wonderful, extra good news. Listen, we live in a dark world, but we still have the good news. The gospel that Paul talked about is the gospel we have and proclaim today. And that is wonderful, extra good news to those who believe it is the power of God unto salvation. Where are you at today? And if you have not embraced Christ as your Lord and Savior, and maybe you need to talk to Pastor Josh after the service or talk to me, and we can talk with you more about this. And maybe you need to come to a place where you say, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I've asked for his mercy to cleanse me of my sin. And I want to be baptized. I want to declare that I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. If you need that, please talk to one of us today. And for those of you who are followers of Christ, how have you responded to God's mercy in your life? Because remember, Paul goes on to say in Romans 12, 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So what should, be our, what should be our response to God's mercy? It should be to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Now, the word that he goes on to use there, he says it's your reasonable act of worship, service of worship, is the Levitical word for those who would go into the temple to worship. And they, they would offer dead sacrifices. They would be sacrifices that would be killed. What do we do, though? We go into the presence of God to worship in the temple of his presence, and we offer ourselves. But not to be dead, to be living sacrifices. And so with that, I want to share uh, just a little bit about what God is doing here and abroad, because the gospel... Yes, it's for, it's for people here, isn't it? Right? And so uh, one of the things that I have a picture of here is my family, of course. So if we could get that up there. There you go. That's the whole family. Six children. 
And uh, I'm not going to give you all their ages because I don't even know if I can get them right exactly. <laughs> but our oldest, I think, is 22 down to 11. Am I, please tell me I'm right on that. Good. Okay, I got that. So the, on the top left there is our son, Nate. Below him is Naomi. And then on the right there is my son, Aaron. Below him is Anna. And then uh, Sarah and Olivia are in the front there. And that's my wife, Julie, next to me. So we are serving with Mission Quest, a missions organization. And in the bulletin, you do have a little, um, one of these bulletins has it, a little sheet that tells you about what we're doing. And it has prayer items as well. And on the back talks about how people can donate if they want to do a one-time donation or if they want to be regular uh, givers. Um, but also in the back table, I have information. And if you want to sign up for our missions newsletter, you can sign up in the back there where that beautiful poster that Pastor Josh made that shows Kenya and where we went last year, uh, it's in the back there. And I'll be in the back at the end of the service. I'm happy to talk with anybody that wants to talk more about this. But what I want to share is that... Um, God is using our family to really support the church. We've been doing this for a few years. That's one of the reasons I'm here is because I wanted to be a support to churches like this. There are so many churches in New England that are isolated, that are kind of just, you know, being very faithful, trying to do what God wants, but it can be discouraging. And so I want to be an encouragement to churches in New England and help in any way that I can with the gifts that God has uh, given so uh, I've helped here, of course, and uh, other churches as well. But this past year, I was doing pulpit supply two times a month at a church in Cornish. I do have a picture of that building. Good job. And uh, so for la this whole year, this past year, I've been preaching there twice a month. But that church is closed for the winter because <laughs> uh, they're such a small congregation that financially it made more sense for them to just partly, too, they have people that go down south for the winter. So they're closed, but they're going to pray, and I ask you to pray for them for their future, you know, and what God wants for that ministry, because it's a small group. But I have done pulpit supply, and along with that, I don't have a picture of this, but in another town, not far from where I live in, Clare in Claremont, New Hampshire, is a town called Lempster. It's another kind of remote community, and there's a couple there that are friends of ours that really have a desire to plant a church in Lempster, New Hampshire. And they have been doing Bible studies and uh, ministering to people and discipling people, reaching out, evangelizing. But they believe God is leading them to help start a church. And they asked if our family would be uh, a help in that endeavor. So we're getting closer and closer to that being an actuality. We're having a Christmas Eve service in Lemster. We're, we're planning to have an uh, a, a Easter service but these are kind of what we call pre-church uh, events that we're doing, just to, just to put these things out there and see what God does with them and, and see if he confirms that he wants us to plant a church there. But please pray for that. That's in Lemster, New Hampshire, that we may be doing a church plant next year. That's here. But then God, as many of you know, brought... Uh, some Kenyans into our lives. <laughs> and Pastor Josh and I last summer went to Kenya for, for three weeks. 
I plan to go back uh, next summer, next June. I just talked with Pastor Julius, who you, you've seen him here before if you've been here when he's here. And he told me yesterday that uh, there is a lot of flooding in Kenya. It's so sad because it's, they, they're, there's so much flooding, it's wiping out their crops. And there are people in these remote villages. You remember Kabondo. And uh, some of their places there, the crops have been wiped out. I asked him about the mud houses, though. And he said that some of those, a lot of those are up high, so they've avoided being destroyed. But their church in Kasumu, their church building was actually wiped out. And so he sent me pictures of them. Uh, they rebuilt that. I don't know if I sent you those pictures, but he, they had to rebuild their, their church building in Kasumu because it was wiped out with floods. And, and Josh saw this. These are not strong buildings, a lot of them. That's one of the reasons floods will just wipe them out. So I plan to go back next summer. And um, in the meantime, Pastor Julius actually is trying to come here uh, for medical follow-up because he's still having some issues. And and really, so we want to try to help him uh, to get here. But what they're doing there is just incredible. Um, I've shown pictures. I think there's a picture of a mud house there with Pastor Josh and I standing in front they are reaching out to orphans and widows. They are trying to help people. They're trying to supply necessities, you know, even food. They would love to start some large-scale farming, and they need equipment for that. And they have such a great vision. And something that you've been a part of is that Pastor Julius wanted to help a town that he is building a house in to have water. And because of your love, and generosity they were able to drill a well now you may have a picture of that is there a pic no there's no picture of that but i promise you uh it is happening (laughs) i've seen it with my own eyes and i can show you on my phone after if you want to see uh okay pastor josh has pictures too so you'll you'll be seeing those in the future i'm sure too and uh even a little video that he sent me of them drilling that well and the water coming up And I'll tell you, that is incredibly good news because that area where Pastor Julius is building the house, their water source was filthy, filthy. So because of you, they are now getting closer to having that clean water for the whole area. Amen. Thank you so much. So they have great... Great vision, and what they want to do to really spearhead this, and I've mentioned this before here, they want to have a Bible institute, um, and we've helped them to acquire Bibles. And I think I have a picture of, yep, that's, Josh was there too, at the Bible, uh, Bible Society of Kenya, where we purchased, uh, I think it was over two or three hundred Bibles, um, that we that we purchased. I'm blanking now. I know I've done a total over the years of about 500 Bibles in Kenya. So a lot of Bibles. But you know what? I just got a request the other day from a Kenyan pastor saying, "Can you send more Bibles?" Because <laughs> Josh and I have been in these churches, and a lot of those people don't have their own Bible. But they want to have a Bible Institute, and I might have a picture of the uh, group in front of the. Yeah. That's the initial start of this. It's a Bible school down in the south 
western part of Kenya, and they want to move it up to the city of Kasumu. And they want it to grow into a full-fledged Bible institute where they can train leaders and strategize to have good ministry, effective ministry, and longevity for their ministries to be able to help people. And it's going to take work. It's going to take prayer. So pray for us as we consider going back uh, in Kenya uh, 2024. It's going to be Pastor Julius's son, Eric, and me are planning to go. Uh, has most people here met Eric, I think? Okay, so he and I are planning to go in June. And uh, I uh, told Pastor Julius yesterday that uh, he said I would get to see if I come back, because I've mentioned it before, how Josh and I planted a tree. We each planted our own tree, right? Remember that? You had a tree, I had a tree. And I said to him yesterday, because he said, you're going to see your tree when you come back. I said, I want to see if mine's bigger than Josh's. I said, could you take extra care, extra good care of it? So <laughs> I hope it's okay. I'm uh, creating a little competition with our trees. But uh, I'll give you a report on the trees, too, after I go and see, see how they're doing. But all this to say, there's great need, but there's great excitement and hope. But we just need to get back there next summer for a few weeks and that's, I'm, I'm raising money right now. That's kind of the immediate thing is trying to raise money to go back so that I can work with those leaders and continue to lay the foundation for their vision. And it's going to take planning and preparation, but also uh, love and generosity from churches in America. And you're one of those churches. So thank you for being a part of that. And uh, I'm going to hand things back over to Josh. Uh, but again, I want to invite you to... Um, Come see me after the service if you want to talk more about missions and also sign up for our missions newsletter in the back. Thank you. Thank you, Tim, for that good news, brother. Um, so why don't we pray as we transition into a song of response and uh, here in a moment we'll uh, head downstairs and just a gentle reminder that downstairs we do have a fundraiser uh, today for the food shelf. Um, there's some pies down there and for recommended donation or whatever, you can walk away with the pie. So well, let's pray as we transition into a song of response. God, we thank you for this good news. Thank you that uh, in a world filled of bad news, there is always hope because of what you have done for us. Lord, I pray we would be a people marked by faith people marked by trusting in the sufficiency of all that you are for us in Christ. And that, Lord, as we respond to the gospel in faith, that we would offer up our lives as living sacrifices, that we would go and tell. Uh, now that we've come and seen and received the good news and believed it, that then we would respond by going and telling. That we would be a people that wherever we are, whether it be in our, our homes or places of work, uh, Lord, or in the community, that we would be people who are living lives and speaking words that tell others this good news here and even abroad. So, Lord, as we respond now in worship, fill our hearts, strengthen us, and help, help us uh, to go and tell. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>